Lord, as we come to the message today, you come, you speak, you have your way in our midst today. We praise you, we give you the glory, through Jesus we pray, amen and amen. I'll turn once again to John 13, we're going to be there for just a minute. And we're going to segue a little bit. John 13. We've been talking about this. Um, thank you for, I see people looking down, clipping through Bibles. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bring your Bible with you. Uh, even though we have things on the board, having your Bible is, is very, very important. John 13. We've been talking about this important uh, night. Uh, it's uh, the, the, when Jesus the Last Supper, Jesus washes the feet of the disciple. There's just so much in here. And uh, in verse 10, after Peter, as you remember, said, oh, no, you're not you. You're not going to wash my feet. You're the Lord. I'm just the lowly Peter. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, you know, if I don't wash you, you, you have no part with me. It's it's a, an illustration that we need to allow Jesus to wash our sins away, that we can't do it ourselves. We talked about that. But then Jesus says to him in verse 10, he says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. We talked about that. He says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. We talked about how Jesus, in laying aside his outer garments and picking up that, to that towel uh, to wash dirty feet, that this was symbolic of him laying aside his well-deserved self-importance as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? And humbling himself as a servant, okay? And if that wasn't enough of a process, a chore, if you will, difficult enough for his genuine followers that he would wash their stinky feet, he also washed the feet of Judas. Think about that a minute. Jesus washing the feet of Judas. And he knew Verse 11 said, who was to betray him? And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Judas, unclean. In other words, an unbeliever. Although he had walked with Jesus for over three years, saw the miracles, even participated in miracles as Jesus sent them out two by two. Talked with Jesus face-to-face, -face, on a regular basis, had stuff explained to him like other people didn't get that chance. And after all that remained, not only remained an unbeliever, but was just about to sell Jesus to his captors for money. Jesus knew all of this and still stooped and washed the feet of Judas. Wow. 
Another beautiful picture in this passage to show us that Jesus, in fact, died for all. He died for the whole world. He took the sins of everybody. Not everybody will receive him. Not everybody will be saved, right? There are some that will reject him all the way to the end. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many there are. You know, they don't want to hear about Jesus, want nothing to do with Jesus, and yet Jesus died for them as well. He died for all. But let's zoom back in. Here's Jesus washing the stinky feet of Judas, a guy who was definitely not his friend. Right. A guy who was stealing money from the group. We saw that a guy who was about to rat him out to the Pharisees, a guy. Let's face it, that Jesus had every reason not to like. Any names, any situations, any faces coming to mind? He had every reason not to like this guy. And on top of it all, this action toward him, this loving action, this serving action, this humbling of himself, it wasn't like it was going to change anything, right? Not like Judas was ever going to come around. Matter of fact, Jesus himself had said about Judas, it would have been better for him if he would never have been born. So it wasn't going to change anything. But Jesus did it anyway. Jesus loved anyway. Jesus served anyway. Jesus humbled himself anyway. How in the world? Come on, you know life. You know the people that we rub shoulders with that in the natural we would not have want to have anything to do with. Right? How do you do it? How do we humble ourselves and serve people that aren't nice? How do we treat people with kindness that in the natural we don't want anything to do with? How do we do good to people who don't deserve it and keep doing it when it just feels useless because they're never going to change anyway? How do we do it? How do we, like Jesus, lay aside our rights, our dignity, our pride, and take the role of a servant? I said last week, Jesus could do it because he knew some things. He knew some things. Things that did not change because of what other people thought or said or did or didn't do. What did he know? Go back to verse 3. Verse 3 of John 13, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, stop there. First thing Jesus knew is that the Father had given all things into his hands. What all things? Well, just the only possible means of salvation for the human race. Just a little bit of responsibility, right? All of that... The redemption of mankind, the only possible way of salvation, reconnection with God. Otherwise, everybody would be lost. Everybody would be condemned. Everybody would be out of in eternity without God. The whole rectifying of that 
was in his hands. If Jesus had acted on his feelings, we'd all be in trouble. Big trouble, right? Remember what he had said in verse 27 of chapter 12. He said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Right? Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew why he was here. He saw the big picture. He knew what was at stake eternally. And that purpose, rather than his feelings, guided Jesus' words and his actions. We see it all through the life of Jesus, particularly when I look at Mark chapter 6. Here we have the account of a particular day of ministry. In Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 31, it says this, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to the desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So what do we got here? The Bible says that there's people basically coming in droves to see Jesus, to be healed. With a broken arm, the lame, the deaf, the blind, okay, the lepers, all right? We see it all through. But here they are. They're just coming and going, coming and going, coming and going in droves. So much so that Jesus and the disciples were exhausted. They didn't even have time to eat. Can I remind you this morning of of a principle we've talked about before? Jesus functioned as a human being. Full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Father, but he functioned as a human being. Jesus, as a human being, was exhausted. Jesus was exhausted. Jesus was hungry. He he was not unfeeling of any of these things, right? He was made like his brothers in every way, the Bible says. He can relate to us. So he was shot. Okay? No ifs, ands, or buts. He was shot. Anybody ever been there at the end of the day? Right? Particularly tough day? That was him. So you know how he was feeling. And on top of this, On top of this, if you look back a few verses, you will find that very recently, if not this very day, Jesus got word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded by a low-life scumbag named Herod. And I use that term to um, look at it from a different, you know, from that kind of a perspective. Uh, Herod was, was, was a creep. In, in our terms, and this guy that, that barely deserved to breathe, if you will, kills who Jesus said was the greatest human being, the greatest prophet who ever lived. So can you imagine 
what Jesus is feeling? Can you imagine what's going through his mind? That's his cousin. That's a great prophet of God. So he's shot. He's emotionally, you know, in turmoil. And finally, finally, they get to the end of the line, so to speak. Jesus then dismisses the crowd and he says to the disciples, hey, guys, let's let's go to the other the other side of the, the lake. Let's just go to a quiet place, you know, and just get some rest. Jesus himself needed rest. He needed maybe to get a bite to eat. He needed to spend some time in prayer. He was looking forward to it. Anybody get, you know, in the 11th hour of one of those hard days and you know, you know, it's just about to be over. You got plans, right? But the crowd figured out where he was going and they ran ahead of him and gathered more people and they all came out from the different towns and he gets out of the boat and here's this other crowd. Are you feeling it? You're done. You're toast. And here it is. Another crowd. Imagine what he could have done. Waved his hand like a Jedi and they all fell down, you know. That's just the way I think. But, you know, I mean, you know, what he, what he in his humanness might have felt like doing but he didn't give in to his feelings, did he? The Bible says in verse 34, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus had every right. Can I say this? Every right to consider his exhaustion. He had worked hard. He worked hard for the Lord all day, right? He was hungry. He was frustrated. He was in emotional state. He was angry. You can imagine at Herod and all that was going on. And yet, he had a purpose. He had a purpose. He had a calling that was greater than his personal feelings. I'm going to talk about purpose this morning. Purpose does four things. Probably more than that, but I stopped at four. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Purpose does four things. Number one, purpose ranks priorities. Purpose ranks priorities. Hundreds and hundreds of hurting people, some of them desperate, so Jesus didn't stop for lunch. He didn't stop for lunch. Remember, we talked about the woman at the well, and Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. That was more important than lunch. Here was an opportunity to minister to this woman that was going to change a whole town. That was more important than lunch. Purpose ranks priorities. Bart was saying a few weeks ago how he likes to go to yard sales. So do I. And Kathleen. And a number of times through the years, I, I've been on my way to an appointment, you know, maybe to see somebody before surgery. And I've driven by a yard sale, you know, of a really nice house. A really, really nice house. And out of the corner of my eye as I'm driving by, I see something. It's like, I need one of those. That's happened more than once. But purpose ranks priorities. 
doesn't it? So it's like, well, Lord, if you want me to have that, you're going to have to save it for later in the day because I can't stop right now. Number two, purpose raises patience. Purpose raises patience. Again, imagine how Jesus felt when he gets the word of his cousin John. Wow. Kathleen and I have been in a lot of ministry situations through the years, and I love the tag team with her. I really do. Because often God will give her insight into a situation um, that, that I'm just not getting or, or just the right word that someone needs. We'll be sitting there and I'll, I'll say this and then Kathleen will say something. And it'll be like, there it is. There it is. That's what they needed. That's what God had for them. And I just, I just love that, that experience. But I can remember a situation um, where we're, we're ministering and someone else was there uh, and they were bossy. They were trying to control the situation and, and just just really pretty rude to us. Okay, And Kathleen and I both had to remind each other, why are we here? You know, something that would have, uh, you know, was really trying our patience had to come under purpose instead of, you know, just... You're rude, you know, or or whatever. We were here to minister to this person. Purpose raises patience. Need to deal with that. Number three, purpose rearranges plans. And I know, yeah, I'm doing something real clever here. Uh, I've heard other preachers do this, and forget the cleverness. It's 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 a tool to help us kind of connect and remember these things, okay? Um, Not a cool sermon, okay? All right. Purpose rearranges plans. Jesus was very ready to chill out after a long, difficult day of ministry. He was ripe. And now here was a crowd of people waiting for him when he stepped off the boat. I don't know about you. But I might have said, wrong port, guys, turn around, <laughs> you know, or let's. All right. We just got to go out back out in the lake and put down the anchor. <laughs> uh, I will never forget as long as I live how a brand new Christian named Ron moved from Jamestown, New York, back in with his parents in Baldwinsville for a little bit because the retail chain that he was working for uh, went chapter 11. And about 9 o'clock one night, he gets an idea to call the only Christian that he knows to tell him that he got saved. And my friend Dan Dullen and his wife Annette, already dressed for bed, got up, got dressed, and invited Ron over to their house to encourage this new believer in his faith and to invite him to their church. Yeah. Purpose rearranges plans. Number four, purpose, when it's God's purpose, and I love this one, releases power. 
Purpose releases power. When Jesus went ashore, he saw the people, Mark says, like sheep without a shepherd. And instead of sending them away, the Bible says he had compassion on them and taught them. Now, remember, Jesus is shot, right? He's spent. He's exhausted. He's hungry. He's hangry, right? And now he's lifting his voice and ministering for who knows how long to thousands. Where did that come from? Where did that power come from? Right? Came from on high, didn't it? Touching his human self. And when he was done teaching, he also noticed that the crowd had been with him for a long time and they were hungry too. So as a little side note, he takes five loaves and a couple of fish and feeds 5,000 people, right? Why? Because he was involved in the purpose of God. And when he embraced that purpose over his own feelings, divine power was released into his life and ministry. Do you see it? Jesus knew his purpose, to reveal the love of God to man, to make possible the way of salvation. It was all in his hands. And that purpose, the big picture, was always at the forefront of his mind and guided his words and his actions. It ranked his priorities. It raised his patience. It rearranged his plans. And it released divine power into his ministry. Let me ask you this morning, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? Have you thought about that? What the big picture is? Because we have one as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We have a purpose. Because as his followers, he has called us into his purpose, right? The whole Bible is the story of redemption, isn't it? From cover to cover, everything God does, it's about redemption. It's about the salvation of man. It's about bringing us back to himself after the fall, right? God going to every length imaginable to save mankind from sin and bring us back to himself going all the way to the cross. And then, remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and then Jesus hands the reins over to who? To the church, to us, go into all the world, share the gospel, make disciples. Whose hands is it in now? Ours. Who else can do it? Who else knows the truth? Who else has the big picture? Who else knows the eternal struggle of darkness and light? Who else understands? Who else has the way of salvation? It's us, right? We have a purpose, and it's huge, and it's eternal. We have the privilege of being part of it. And in this quest, 
in this purpose to bring people from darkness into light, our words and our actions count, don't they? They count, every one of them. They make a difference. They can help people toward the Lord, or they can hinder people from the Lord, can't they? Lift up your eyes. See who you are. See what your purpose is, your eternal purpose is on earth. You're you're part of the greatest thing that's ever been. The thing that makes the most. We just had two billionaires, you know, compete to get to space first. Okay. Now, if that doesn't result in something that will eventually save souls, what good is it? Billions of dollars spent, right? What good will that be in 10,000 years if it has nothing to do with salvation? You and I, every day, every day can have something to do with salvation as we are through our words and in our actions, planting seeds, planting seeds, encouraging, loving, serving, showing the love of Jesus, helping or hindering, right? It's not about us being a good Christian, following the rules. It's about our lives in the potter's hands. Thank you for that song this morning. I love how God puts things together. About our lives in his hands, making an an eternal impact in the lives of others. How many people shared the gospel with you before you responded? How many times did you hear it? How many lives did you look at? Right? How many seeds were planted in your heart? And you needed every one of them, didn't you? (laughs) And let me ask you this, if I may. How many professing Christians almost turned you off? Do you see the big picture? Such an opportunity, such a purpose. Such a plan of God. And we're in it. We're in it. When we embrace that purpose, when we put that at the forefront like Jesus did, when we let it guide our words and our actions, it's going to rank our priorities. It's going to raise our patience. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) And it's going to rearrange some of our plans. But it will also release divine power into our lives to make a difference in this world. Sometimes in ways that we might never have imagined. Amen? Lift up your eyes. Let's look at the big picture. Let's grab a hold of our purpose, church, every day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for pulling us into this (laughs) this incredible story of redemption, Lord. Thank you for pulling us into the book of Acts, which is still being written, if you will. 
because the church is still alive and the Holy Spirit is still with us and you are still moving and working and touching lives and pulling people from the pit of hell out of darkness into light. And you're using us, Lord, to do it. So God, help us. Raise us up to all that we can be. Help us to embrace that purpose and let it guide our lives, our words and our actions for your glory and for the benefit of others and their lives, their redemption. We thank you, give you the praise and all the honor. In your awesome name we pray. Amen.